You're listening to potplanet.org, where the stories are between 83 to 100% true. And now, Potplanet presents Vanishing Twin Syndrome, with special guest stars Wendy Lands, Lisa Del Bello, Carter Hayden, and Nug Nargang. Let us begin. Chapter 1 Alice was alluring. That's what everyone said. She wore no makeup and dressed in strong clothes with one or two classic accessories. Her only flaw is that she didn't have a dark side and wouldn't know what to do with one if she did. While at work today, Alice discovered a tiny boil on her shoulder. Less than half an inch big, it wasn't much of a boil. But maybe the appearance of the boil would change all of this for the beautiful Alice Beaumont. Chapter 2 At the end of the workday, Alice grabbed her notes and headed home. It was warm for spring, so Alice wore a simple loose-fitting tank top. Riding the bus home to her modest apartment in Cypress Hill gave Alice ample time to check out the newly discovered boil on her shoulder. When she got home, Alice sat at the vanity in her bedroom and examined the boil closely. It was slightly red and slightly blue. Where on earth did the boil come from? She went online to see. Alarming words like abscess, bump, and spontaneous drainage appeared in article after article. And now, for the first time in her life, Alice experienced anxiety. It was a strange feeling. It was like the first time you taste cilantro. So Alice called the Wynn Walk-In Medical Clinic and set up an appointment immediately for that night. Driver, take me to the Wynn Clinic, 2393 Central Street, said Alice as she climbed into the back seat of the waiting taxi out front of her apartment. The driver, a young out-of-work actor called Dewey, put his foot to the pedal and the sedan sped off. I'll get you to that clinic quick, miss. With his GPS, I can see everything. Construction, accidents, delays. Sweet Moses, said Alice. I can't get there soon enough. I don't want to pry, Dewey said. But what's the problem? I have a boil, said Alice. In my hometown, boils are damn common, said Dewey. Where are you from? Asked Alice. I'm from Bangor, Maine. Oh. That's right. Maybe it's the fishing or the logging, but everyone has boils like you wouldn't believe. They get them on their hands and feet all the time. Alice sank into her seat. Then the driver asked Alice. Do you mind if I put on some music? No, go ahead. We'll be at the wind clinic in 10 minutes. As the music played, Alice entertained dark notions as she had never done before. The boil began to itch. She reached into her handbag for a tube of skin cream and gently rubbed it into her shoulder area. That's when she saw, or thought she saw, something moving in the boil. Pulling into the U-shaped driveway of the clinic, Dewey said, We're here, miss. Then he opened the passenger door. Alice paid him, thanked him, and then she ran into the empty waiting room of the Wynn Clinic. A young nurse rushed to Alice's side. Are you Alice Beaumont of Cypress Hill? Alice nodded her head. Oh, Lord, said the nurse. Is that a boil? My God, we do have a problem. 
I know, right? You're in luck today, said the nurse. The place is empty. Dr. Wynn can see you now. Clutching her purse, the nurse and Alice scrambled down a hall into a brightly lit examination room. Dr. Wynn, said the nurse. This is the Beaumont woman from Cypress Hill. And take a look at that boil. I know, right? Said Dr. Wynn. It's a boil, but it's no ordinary boil. Now reclined on the examination table, Alice winced. The nurse held Alice's hands as Dr. Wynn moved a large medical magnifying glass over Alice's shoulder and adjusted it to take a closer look. Sweet Moses, said Dr. Wynn. Oh my God. Oh my God, my God. I've never seen anything like this. Chapter 3 The nurse dragged an antique tank of sleeping gas from behind an operating screen over to the examination table as Dr. Wynn prepared for surgery. Things were happening so fast, Alice didn't have time to change into a medical gown. Alice? Said Dr. Wynn. You must calm down. Gasping for air, Alice said, (gasps) Dr. Wynn, what is it? What's going on? The nurse placed the breathing mask over Alice's mouth and turned on the sleeping gas. The gas was set to high. Dr. Wynn leaned over the reclined Alice and said, Is your mother still alive? Pulling the mask aside, Alice said, Yes, Dr. Wynn. She's alive. Why? But without answering, the doctor cupped the mask tightly over Alice's nose and mouth. The nurse said, Breathe, Alice, breathe. Taking a long breath, Alice passed out and fell into a deep, deep, Sleep. Chapter 4 Alice? Alice? Still feeling the euphoric effect of the sleeping gas, Alice sluggishly sat up. Dr. Wynne was standing by the examination table with his back to Alice. Then Dr. Wynne spun around dramatically, and he was holding something in the palm of his hands. Look, Alice, he said. In his hands, was a tiny, perfectly formed female, no taller than a dime. The nurse moved the magnifying glass over the doctor's hands to show Alice the wondrous little creature. Look at her, Alice. Look at her, said the doctor. The tiny girl covered her eyes to shield them from the glare of the lamp. Then Dr. Wynne turned his head away and signaled the nurse. Nurse, get her some clothes. The nurse picked up a small roll of gauze that was sitting on the doctor's desk and ripped off a one-inch piece. She folded it in half on the diagonal and cut a small hole in the center, creating a miniature poncho. Then the nurse carefully fitted the poncho around the tiny girl's head, covering her nakedness. The nurse and Alice leaned into Dr. Wynne's hands to take a closer look. Who are you? asked Alice. Standing up, The little woman said, I am Undine, your sister. Oh, Undine, you're not just her sister. You're her twin, and a tiny, perfect twin at that. Speaking to Alice directly, Dr. Wynne said, Undine has been living in the boil for 24 years, experiencing everything you have experienced and knowing everything you know. My twin? That's why I asked if your mother was still alive. Your mother needs to know she has not one daughter, but two. Alice and Undine, said the nurse. In medical terms, said Dr. Wynne, this is a rare phenomena. It's called impaired vanishing twin syndrome. Usually, if this event is going to happen at all, 
two eggs are fertilized, but one will usually retreat. But in the case of you and Ondine, rather than being absorbed, Ondine swam through your bloodstream and lived in a boil, in effect a nest, on your shoulder. I don't know why she never matured to full height or size. So I guess that will remain a mystery. The nurse was crying. The doctor gently handed Ondine to Alice. Holding Ondine in her hands, covered in a poncho, as white as the petals on a spring daisy, Alice marveled at the tiny miracle. God is great, said the nurse, wiping the tears from her eyes. Amen, said Dr. Wynne. Amen. Not knowing exactly what to do next, Alice gently picked up Ondine and placed the tiny girl in her shirt pocket. Her feet dangling, Ondine held on the pocket's edge so she could see everything. Bot Planet will be back after this important break. Nice, very nice. Thank you. You know, life in the theater is such a haul. One rehearsal, four actors, and 20 coffee cups. Around here, we don't like coffee. We love it. I look forward to my six cup as much as my first one. And that's because my coffee is high point decaffeinated. I don't need caffeine. Of course, I'm active enough, thank you. But that's just one reason this coffee lover chooses high point. Ooh, that aroma is wonderful. And just look at this deep, rich color. But you know what really matters to coffee lovers? This. Mmm, deep and rich. Flavor this good has to be deep brewed into a coffee. Try High Point, the coffee lovers decaffeinated. You know what? I think you're gonna love it. You are listening to potplanet.org, the best new podcast in Paris. Chapter 5 Miracles like Ondine are not without complexities. Looking at the billing program on his computer, Dr. Wynne realized he didn't know how to charge for Alice's visit. Was this a boil lancing or the delivery of a child? The nurse placed a stack of insurance forms on Alice's lap. Alice began to fill out the forms. Undine wondered if one day, too, she would need to fill out forms like these. When the paperwork was completed, Dr. Wynne and the nurse walked Alice and Undine outside the clinic to the curb and wished the girls well. By good fortune, there was a taxi waiting. Alice and Undine stepped into the waiting sedan, and it drove away. Riding back to their apartment, Undine held on to the top of Alice's shirt pocket. Thankfully, the driver had the radio on, eliminating the need to talk. The girls stared blankly out of the window of the sedan, in stunned silence. Arriving home, the girls were hungry. They dined on some leftover chicken and salad. At bedtime, using an old matchbox, Alice made on Dean a miniature bed complete with pillow and flannel blanket. Alice placed the bed, with Ondine in it, on her night table. Good night, Alice, said Ondine. Good night, Ondine, said Alice. Then the girls quickly fell asleep. My, it had been such a long day. This is potplanet.org. Chapter 6 Because of the surgery, Alice took the next week off and spent her days catching up with Undine. One evening, sitting in the park beneath the stars, Undine and Alice reminisced about childhood. 
It was the sort of conversation only twins could share. All her life, Alice had felt something was missing. But now, she had finally found the missing piece of the puzzle. Undine. A week later, Undine and Alice had a conversation that would change everything. Chapter 7 It was raining again, so Alice did a crossword while Undine played Cat's Cradle with a piece of string. Wearing her new spring dress, purchased at Toys R Us, Undine looked up pensively and said, Alice, we have to talk. You know, it's a great big world out there, and I want to find my own way in it. You want to leave? said Alice, somewhat surprised. I love you dearly, Alice, as only a twin could. But I need to be my own person. I want to have a career, an apartment, even maybe a guy, and someday, despite my size, children. Alice grasped the armrest of her chair. You mean you want to move out? I have to. I need to. I have to. I need to, said Undine. But you're so tiny, said Alice. You could be swept away by a rainstorm or caught by a hungry bird or cat. I know, whispered Undine. Uh, We all have our limitations, and life comes with no guarantees, except, of course, the final one. But Undine, the world is a dangerous place, even for ordinary people, said Alice, protesting. Look... I've been scouring the employment ads, and I found a couple of possibilities. For instance, there's a new interior designer company that just opened, and I'd really like to talk to them. It's a job where my size would be of no consequence. You have a point. That's the spirit, Alice. We're twin sisters, you know. We have to support each other. Alas, the news shouldn't have come as a big surprise, because Alice knew this day was coming. Although Undine was a wonderful person and a fantastic sister, she did need to start her own life. You're listening to potplanet.org. Chapter 8 The next day, Undine packed her tiny suitcase. Her purse contained some business cards, a resume, and some street maps and guides. Standing by the kitchen door, Undine and Alice said their goodbyes. Sadly, they couldn't hug because of the size differential. So when Alice leaned over to look at Undine closely, Undine patted her on the nose. Then Undine headed out into the world. Chapter 9 Undine kept an eye out for the neighbor's cat, and made her way to the bus stop. Of course, one of the challenges of being small is money. Conventional money is too big. And although they had promised, the treasury still had not issued miniature money or miniature people. Looking for a solution to the money problem, Undine saw a piece of foil lying on the grass near the bus stop. It might have been part of a leftover candy bar wrapper. So Undine picked it up and flattened it into the shape of a coin. But a piece of foil really isn't money. But it's metal, and it had to be worth something. 
Eventually, the southbound bus arrived. Being wheelchair accessible, it was level to the ground, and Ondine had no trouble walking on board. As she stepped on the bus, she saw the fair collection box towering above her. With all the strength she could muster, Ondine pitched the tinfoil dime into its opening, where it landed next to all the other change, tickets, and tokens. Assuming she got away with it, Ondine began to look for a safe place to sit. Just as she was about to walk away, the driver, a union man in his 50s, looked into the fare collection box and scowled. Uh, excuse me, miss, but uh, where do you think you're going? He said. I'm going to a job interview, said Undine. Lady, said the driver. I'm looking in the box, and that's not a dime. It's just a piece of foil. Clutching her tiny suitcase, Undine looked up at the driver and said, I did not get on this bus to be insulted by the likes of you. Rolling his eyes, the grumpy driver said, Oh, now I've seen everything. All right, lady, just move along. Undine made her way to a safe spot beneath the first row of seats and sat down on her suitcase. The doors closed, and the bus lurched forward, spewing a cloud of diesel fumes from its exhaust pipe. Some things never change. You are listening to podplanet.org. Epilogue. While the story of Alice and Ondine eventually garnered some interest in the American Journal of Medicine for Dr. Wynne and the Nurse, this remarkable story never entered into the mainstream or tabloid press, although you'd think it would. Dr. Wynne did seek a publishing deal, but ended up in a messy copyright challenge with the nurse, who claimed she had written the lion's share of the story. In a way, their falling out seemed inevitable. Back in Cypress Hill, on her way to a luncheon, Alice once again used the services of Dewey, the out-of-work actor and cab driver from Bangor, Maine. Not surprisingly, they went for coffee, fell in love, married, and today, Alice is in a family way expecting twins. Boys, apparently. And that takes us to Undine. Living in the city, working for the design company, Andine finally read Gulliver's Travels in French. The book would change Andine's life path, for she was now inspired to set sail in search of the mythical island nation of Lilliput. Although she liked living among us, she craved to be among her own kind. On the day of her departure, Dewey and Alice met Andine at the harbor and wished her a bon voyage, as did we. Finally, after months of speculation and setbacks, the U.S. Treasury had still not issued the miniature money as promised. Although the coins and bills had been dutifully designed, a disastrous labor dispute set the initiative back decades. Of course, the story of the U.S. Treasury is not without deep irony, for in negotiating with their workers, the Treasury had become a prime example of the sort of selfishness they had always condemned. You have been listening to Pot Planet, where the stories are between 83 to 100% true. Pod Planet is written and produced by Peter McHugh and Clive Desmond. The Pod Planet theme was composed by Jonathan Goldsmith, creative consultant Monique Kelly. 
Digital and audio design by Oliver Wickham and Aidan Vickery. Pod Planet announcer, Jean-Francois. Additional and highly deserved credits are listed on podplanet.org. If you haven't subscribed to Pod Planet yet, subscribe now. Go to our webpage, podplanet.org. Pod Planet is one word. And click follow on whatever podcatcher you're using. You'll find Pod Planet on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow Pod Planet on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Links are available on our webpage. This is Pod Planet Season 2. We'll be back in two weeks with another new and startling episode. Until then, on behalf of Peter McHugh and the whole Pod Planet team, thanks for listening. I'm Clive Desmond. Pod Planet is part of the Public Radio Exchange and the Association of Independence in Radio. You have been listening to Pod Planet. A new episode drops every two weeks on Thursday.